All right, we're continuing our study on the Apostles' Creed. Uh, and to tell you the truth, I, 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 my, my mom is my biggest fan. You may be not, not be surprised to hear that. And so I had to call her up and said, I feel like I've taught this recently. Do you, are, are you aware of, because this, the line that we're on today is conceived of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. We just came out of, uh, of Advent, and I'm sure I've taught some of this to some of you at some point. I know for sure that I, have, I, have a, I meet with a group of guys on Thursday morning. Uh, and we, I taught some of this there. Uh, but everything else, uh, as best I know, we've not covered in here in quite some time. So at least been a few years. So this, this is new to you for a lot of you. Uh, but uh, we'll, we'll uh, uh, so that's my, my disclaimer as we begin. Um, so my illustration that I want to open up with, you're going to get a kick out of this, I think. Uh, I don't know how many of you consider yourselves to be good cooks uh, or chefs, maybe, is the better word for some of you. Um, there's a certain skill set that goes along with, with cooking that is, is not something I am very good at. Uh, I consider myself a good cook of certain things, particularly as it relates to, or, uh, relates to the outdoor products. Anything on the grill, we, we, uh, we, we try and uh, uh, do well with that, and my sons help me out. It's always a fun thing. I'm pretty good with breakfast. I can make a, a good set of scrambled eggs. Is that a set of scrambled eggs? I can... Scrambled eggs, bacon, those kind of things. Uh, where I get into trouble is, uh, is when I'm talking about the specific skill set, uh, when it comes to making substitutions. For instance, if you, if you want to run out of one ingredient, do you know what ingredient to substitute it with so that your, your thing isn't ruined, your, your dish isn't ruined? I do not. I'm not good at that. Uh, if I run out of one of my ingredients, uh, I'm at a standstill. And you know, I did forget to mention this, by the way, at the start of our time. I'm going to put a commercial in here, right in the middle of it. Uh, our pregame Super Bowl party is not on Sunday, is on Saturday. I may be making some things, <laughs> provided I have all the ingredients. But if you would like to attend that, this is on Saturday, the day before the big game. Uh, we're going to gather right here in the gathering room and... Uh, and maybe, maybe, I don't know. I, Tracy will for sure bring something good to eat, uh, but we'd love to have you and join us. I know other people have signed up for some things. If you want to sign up to bring some stuff, you can scan that, and I'll put that back up at the end too. But back to, back to where I was going with this. Again, substituting things. Uh, I have yet to taste a good substitute for sugar. <laughs> Sorry, I know they're out there. And I know some of you probably feel strongly about some things, uh, but try as they might, uh, I, I can still tell the difference. Even with the good ones, quote unquote, it says that doesn't taste right. That doesn't taste like uh, good old fashioned sugar. Here's another one. I once tried to make uh, fried chicken tenders using coconut flour instead of regular flour, and they ended up looking like this. Yep, there they are. Yeah. Who's, I'm going to bring these to the, the, the Super Bowl party next week. It's hard to substitute for flour. I don't care who you are. I don't care how good of a chef you think you are. Uh, cauliflower pizza, uh, pizza crust. Uh, I, yeah, I'm sorry. I, I appreciate the effort. But pizza crust must, needs, have a lot of gluten in it. It has to be chock full of it. Uh, and I'm going to be honest with you, the next one is uh, sparkling water. And uh, it's all the rage, and I, I personally drink a lot of it. And, and the reason I drink a lot of it is because I was a, a soda addict maybe for the first 25 years of my life. And uh, I was told back then when I was younger that you could drink whatever you wanted as long as it didn't have fat. You know, as long as it didn't have fat, 
Meanwhile, it's just loaded with sugar, and, and then so then you try and go to, to Diet Coke, and then Diet Coke is like, oh, no, that's bad for you, too, because of the sugar substitute. It's just as bad for you, right? This is what I've been told. I know many of you drink Diet Coke. Have, have fun with that. Um, so I've actually taken to making my own sparkling water. I have one of those soda streams, and I add my own flavor, and it's really pretty good. Maybe I'll bring that to the, well, maybe not. What else? Have you ever tried a veggie burger? Uh, yeah, I don't know what they're putting in those patties to make them look like meat, but it, uh, I've never seen a vegetable that looks like Angus beef. It's, it's not an acceptable substitute. Okay, where am I going with all this? Uh, go on, go through the Apostles' Creed, and we've come to the line that affirms our belief in Jesus, who, as the Creed says, was conceived of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. Conceived of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. Now, I want to remind you that in our first session of the Apostles' Creed, we said that the Creed affirms what we like to call the essentials. Many of the non-negotiables of our faith. It's not exhaustive, but again, many of these things were, were, were heresies that were fought in the early church, and so they felt the need to really double down on something, emphasize, remember these things. Remember these things, just as Paul would say. This, here's a trustworthy saying, remember these phrases, because again, don't forget uh, some of these crucial things, conceived of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. And so when we talk about these essentials, what I mean by that is if you remove that essential, uh, you've gutted the faith. You've gutted the, the, the essential belief. And, and in particular, there is something crucial about the line of the creed that we're looking at today that makes me want to highlight this, this fact uh, more so than many of the other lines. For example, I think we don't, if we don't affirm God the Father, that he is maker of heaven and earth, uh, I think it's pretty obvious that you're believing then in something that is other than orthodox Christianity. If you don't believe in the Holy Spirit, it's pretty obvious that you don't believe in, in uh, Orthodox Christianity. So what about being conceived of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary? You know what? There are a lot of people out there who call themselves Christian that might deny the need to believe in a conception of the Holy Spirit. Or they might say, is it really necessary that we believe that Jesus was born of a virgin. Doesn't it just matter what Jesus did while he was here? Does it matter how he got here, right? Is some of the things that maybe they might say. And to that, once again, I say there are no suitable substitutes here. You can't just swap these things out, okay? There's no coconut flour option here. If you don't believe in those two ideas, okay, you're striking against the vitals of the faith. You're believing something that is not Orthodox Christianity. Moreover, if you don't believe in the conception of the Holy Spirit and birth by way of a virgin, you can't have a Savior who is able to save anyone. You can't have a Savior who's able to save anyone by removing these two things. Okay? What do you think about that? Do you agree with me? Who wants to disagree with me right now? <laughs> I mean, please, I mean, what do you think? Is there, is there something that you say, well, maybe it's not that I disagree, but I've never really thought that through. Is there, is there something that maybe that bothers you in just the thought of it? It's more of a question than a challenge, and it's, are you, do you feel confident speaking on the difference between the Roman Catholic perspective on how Mary was created and what we as um, professing Protestants believe? What Jason is referring there to is, and I'll just bring it up briefly, and I think I'll touch on it later in my notes, is the idea that uh, you've heard of the uh, Immaculate Conception, yes? 
A lot of people believe the Immaculate Conception refers to how Jesus was conceived, when in fact it does not. It refers to how Mary was conceived. Okay, we, we as Christians don't affirm that. Yeah, you're, you're, you're like, what? Didn't you? The Immaculate Conception, because again, it's the idea that, okay, how, I'm going to get into this in a bit, but yeah, that's, that's the fundamental difference between uh, what the Roman Catholics might believe about the conception of Jesus, and particularly Mary, and what we believe. I'll get into that in a moment, but good question. Let me continue. And uh, again, if you have questions as we go, feel free to, to raise your hand and say, wait a minute, stop, stop. Okay, um, just as we've done in weeks past, uh, let's see. Well, I just did that. So I was going to say, what do you think? And you've already told me what you think. Uh, why is it such a big deal? Why is being conceived of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary such a, a big deal? Why does it matter? Now, let me back up a bit to answer the question as to why the manner of Jesus' conception matters so much. Uh, if you've heard me teach for any length of time at all, if you've been in this class or in another class that I've taught, one of the things that I like to emphasize over and over again, when you're reading through the Old Testament, you need to be aware of the fact that every psalm, every narrative, every prophecy, uh, every, everything— Everything that's in the Old Testament, what is the point of all of it? It always, all, all of it points us to Jesus. Jesus was the point of it in the Old Testament. Jesus said so himself in the 24th chapter of Luke when he told his disciples, essentially, it all points to me. Every law, every prophecy, every story, every psalm, it's all about me. So back in the Old Testament, when we read about sacrifices, okay, when we read about the sacrifices in the Old Testament, many people think incorrectly incorrectly, that the Old Testament sacrificial system was a means of making up for the sins that you committed, okay? If you sinned, well, okay, now you have to make a sacrifice to make up for it, to atone for it, and once you did that, then you were on good terms with God once again. And, and that's what God tried in the Old Testament, and that wasn't working, so he had to come up with something, another, a different plan, and this is where Jesus comes in. Well, that's not quite right, the sacrifices of the Old Testament, remember what we just said about Luke 24, the sacrifices of the Old Testament point forward. They point forward to the ultimate sacrifice that was to come, the effective sacrifice, that of Jesus, his sacrificial giving of his own life on our behalf. Those sacrifices in the Old Testament, what we read about in, in, in the Levitical law, those were foreshadowing of what was to come in Jesus' sacrifice. One day, that one day the perfect sacrifice would come down and remove your sins from your account, as it were. It's not that the animals in the Old Testament took away your sin. It's that they pointed forward to the one who would, okay? And at the most basic level of the sacrificial system of the Old Testament, it said this. It was, it was God's way of saying, I'm going to provide for you someone that will sacrifice his own life to pay for, to, to make atonement for the sins that you have committed. You see, sin represents death. Sin is death. The result and consequence of sin is death. death. This is why the Bible tells us that the wages of sin is death. And, and to balance out the, the perfect scales of God's justice, again, if I could use terms like that, sin must be paid for through life because sin is painful. Sin is costly, okay? So when you brought your sacrifice to God, it had to be a sacrifice. It had to be a sacrifice. It had to be costly, so, so you couldn't just bring the runt of the litter, right? You couldn't bring your, your three-legged lamb. 
you couldn't bring your, your mad cow. It, it, had, it had to be costly. And it had to be an animal sacrifice, an animal sacrifice specifically without blemish. Again, it had to be good because, again, this is the depth, this is the, the gravity of sin. That to pay for sin, it has, to be, it has to be something costly. It had to be perfect. It had to be the best of the best. Deuteronomy 17.1 says, You shall not sacrifice to the Lord your God an ox or a sheep in which is a blemish, any defect, whatever, for that is an abomination to the Lord your God. So the, that's point number one. That's point number one that we have to, to realize as we contemplate the virgin birth. The sacrifice... The Old Testament sacrifice, which, which, remember, pointed forward to the once and for all sacrifice of the New Testament, it had to be a sacrifice without blemish or defect, okay? It had to be perfect, a perfect sacrifice. If you don't have a sacrifice without a blemish or defect, you don't have a sacrifice. So number one, the first thing we need is a sacrifice without blemish, all right? Now, let me ask another question related to food. Uh, how many of you are strict about, uh, this is one I've used in here before too, how many of you are strict about expiration dates? Expiration dates? No? You're not strict? You are. So for instance, if you have milk and it says expiration date June 24th, will you drink it on June 25th? Yes. You did it today. Someone living on the edge. i I bet there are some of you that if it says June 24th, you won't drink it on June 23rd. <laughs> Am I right? Are you strict about that? Strict about expiration dates? Because again, I mean, you know, maybe the, at the 25th, the 26th, maybe it's just a little spoiled. You, maybe, maybe that's okay. Just a little bad for you, right? All right, let me, let me, let me hit you with this one. Uh, again, another one I've used in here before. It's kind of gross, so I'm going to share it with you. But if you're willing to consider expired milk, you know, we've already crossed the line here. Um, back when I was young, perhaps I was 11 or 12, uh, I would ask my mother if I could see certain movies, you know, particularly you know, I, the ones that I knew my classmates were already seeing. And uh, my mom drew a pretty hard line. If it was rated R, don't, don't even bother asking for rated R movies. Forget about it. And no chance. But it was right around the time I turned 13 or so when that movie classification of PG-13 came out. That hasn't been around forever. For a while, it was just PG and then R. PG-13 comes out. It started with the movie Red Dawn, starring superstar Patrick Swayze. And, uh, and it was PG-13, very first movie that was classified. That. And I said, ooh, I got it. And guess what? I'm 13. And so, but my mom was like, What's the deal with this PG-13? What's that, what's, what's that all about? Well, I'm 13, right? It's good. Yes, but what makes a movie PG-13 instead of just PG? And so I'm sure I explained something to her along the lines, of, well, it's nothing really bad. It just has maybe a few swear words or something in it. Some swear words, she says, and this is okay for you? Yeah. What's wrong with a few swear words, I tell my mom. It's just, it's, just, it's just a few. It's no big deal. And so she tells me this. Let's just say you're thirsty, and I offer you a glass of water. Are you going to drink it? To which I said, yes, I'm sure I would drink it. Then she says to me, okay, now let's say I give you a glass of water that I've scooped out from the toilet. Would you like to drink some? And I'm sure, sure I would. I'm going to tell you the truth. I, I, I've dialed it down. Originally, she said, I, I dialed it down for the illustration. She says, 
what if I gave you a glass of water with a drop of urine in it? That's how, that's how it's, kind of, it's kind of gross. That's what I said. And I said, no, no, thank you. I don't want it. See? Checkmate. Checkmate mom, right? Her point was it doesn't, it doesn't take much. It doesn't take much to ruin something good. Just a little bit. And now the whole thing is ruined. If, if you know where that water's come from, even though it's mostly good, right? It's mostly hydrogen and oxygen, right? With a few other things, right? You're not touching it. I dare say none of you are touching it. Please don't raise your hand if you said it's fine with me. <laughs> now, this is, this is the, the universal problem with, with, that faces humanity. We're all tainted. We're all tainted. We're all infected with sin. As good as you think some people might be, <laughs> what's going on over there? Wow. As good as you think some people might be, even the best people, even the best people, they're all products of a fallen world. Every last one of them. In fact, it may come as a surprise to you that when you look at a newborn baby, it's hard to think about that. It's hard to imagine, but that newborn baby has been tainted by sin, okay? In Psalm 51.5, we're told, behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. What, what David is suggesting here is that before he was even born, before he was even born, he was tainted by sin. He wasn't even out of his mother's womb yet, and he was infected by sin's curse. Paul goes on just a little bit more detail, talking about how the one sin of Adam tainted the entire batch, so to speak, the whole of humanity. Uh, Romans 5, 12 and following, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given. But sin is not counted where there is no law, yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. You see what he's saying here? He's noting that, first of all, that before there was even a law to break, before there was that, that Mosaic law, before Sinai, sin entered the world through Adam. And now, so to speak, the whole batch is ruined. It's all bad all of it. It's a universal problem. It's a deep-rooted problem. It's not like, it's not like you made it 23 days into your life and, oh, then, then you sinned, right? Uh, it, it, it was way more serious than that. Your sin has been with you since you were conceived, since, since before you were conceived. Adam passed that sin along to you. Before you were even aware of what's right and what's wrong, you were infected by sin, even before you were born, okay? So, so there's, there's point number two as we contemplate a virgin birth. Every single human since Adam has been infected with sin. There's no way around it. Again, it's not like we've had a few humans living among us that made it, you know, several months, weeks, days into, the, into their life before they, 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 they messed up. Every one of us since before birth have been infected by sin's curse. So number two, sin is passed along to us from before birth. All right? Do you see the problem that we have here? The problem we have here, do you see how, how point two is directly impacted by point one? No, two impacts point one. If sin is passed along to us from birth, how in the world are we ever to get a sacrifice without blemish? We're, we're stuck. We're stuck. How do we get around this? As, as somewhat of an aside here, the only real reason that makes the idea of a virgin birth essential uh, 
and again, it's reflected in my practice uh, that I'm trying to especially be mindful of lately as my kids get older. Sometimes my kids will ask me for something and I'll just tell them no, you know, because I'm mean. And then it's at this point when they feel like this is their cue to mount their best defense for my answer no. For instance, right now they're all into the computer games and, and they, they stay up late. And hey, can we stay up late to play with our cousins? And they think that it's more noble of a cause that they're playing with family. It's family that we never see. They're so far away. But it's a school night. So no. And, and again, over and over, you know, we, we, sometimes we have to tell them, no, you just can't stay up late because we have to go in there the next morning and, and take a shovel in there to get them out of their beds because they're, they're just so tired. And so, no, so you can't stay up late. No, and I don't even want to have to explain this anymore. And I've stopped explaining it, okay, so that when I say no, no means no. Now, that sounds awful, but you just got to do it, okay? And again, do you know why I'm bringing this up? Because... Sometimes that's the only rationale that we need. Sometimes it's got to be a virgin birth because the Lord said so. Because that's what he told us in in Isaiah. Is the virgin birth necessary and essential? Yes. Because again, the credibility of his word is at stake here. He told us so all the way back in Isaiah 7.14, right? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. And, his, and, and shall call his name Emmanuel. And again, even the prophecy, every, every prophecy told in Isaiah still has an immediate context, but every time uh, you read a, 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 a prophecy in Isaiah, it foreshadows, again, it tells us something of what would happen in the future. So if he said it, if he said it in his word, that's really enough. That's really, that's really enough. So, so if it happens any other way, if it's not a virgin birth, then what happens? It undermines all of scripture. You know, can we trust any of it? He said so plain and simple, so to take it out is to question God at his word. This is the way God said it would happen, and so this is how it had to happen. And why did it necessarily have to happen? Yes, because God said so, but again, we still have these two problems right here. You know, even aside from the fact that God said so in his word, we still have these two problems. We need a sacrifice without blemish, and that sacrifice had to be costly, and that sacrifice had to be a person because, again, if, if Adam perfectly represented us as people, then the sacrifice has to be people. And sin is passed along to us from before birth. We're stuck. How do we do this? How do we do this? We still have these two issues. And so God did this. Again, we just discussed this around Advent. And I, I, again, I, I taught so much around Advent that I, I don't remember where I last read this, but I, I would like to read it again. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy, the son 
of God. The Holy Spirit came upon her, a virgin, and she conceived in her the one they would call Emmanuel, God with us. And so do you see what that does? If the curse of sin is passed along to us from our parents and our parents' parents and our parents' parents and so on, God the Father had to circumvent that process. He had to break the chain, as it were. A sinless seed had to be passed along, one that was not infected by the sin of Adam and one that was not, not implicated in the disobedience of Adam, but, but, but was he himself the head of a new humanity and a new covenant, he would, if I could say this, not inherit the imperfection of Adam, though it was a spiritual transaction, not a genetic one, and, and yet be not like a human, not sort of like a human, but as a human, a real human, okay? And again, we've talked about this a bunch, I'm sure, but remind me, what do we affirm and what does the Bible affirm? The Bible affirms that Jesus is what? Half God, half man? No. What is it? Fully God, fully man. Fully God, fully man. How does that work scientifically? Well, uh, from a scientific standpoint, I'm not sure I can explain that to you. If Josh were here, maybe he could help us out. Uh, you and I are, are fully m- mankind. We're human. End of, end of sentence. <laughs> right? We, we, we can't contemplate what it looks like to be fully man and fully hippopotamus. You can't do it. Right? But this is what the Bible affirms. And how is it affirmed? By conception of the Holy Spirit and birth of the Virgin Mary, okay? You see, if Jesus was not born of a virgin, then who was his father? There is no answer that will leave the gospel intact. If he wasn't born of a virgin and had a a regular old human father, do you know what that makes Jesus? Makes him a man, end of sentence, Okay? The virgin birth explains how Christ could be, could be both God and man, and how he was without sin, bypassing the seed of Adam, and yet fully man as he grew in the womb of Mary. And he developed, not again, not like a man, but as a man. He grew in his mother's womb, just like you and me. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And again, going back to your question, Jason, is that, is that this was sort of the, the, the Roman Catholic answer, was that they recognized the fact that, yes, it had to be a sin, of uh, uh, without blemish, or it had to be a, a, a sacrifice without blemish. So how do you give birth to a, a perfect human uh, that's not been tainted by sin? Well, the answer to that was, well, if Mary doesn't have sin, immaculate conception, then therefore Jesus would not have sin. And there is, it's further complicated than that because in Roman Catholic theology, it also tries to uh, tie Mary all the way back to Eve in the Garden of Eden. And so there's that spiritual connection there. But again, I think the trouble you have there is that none of that is really articulated in the scriptures. And you have to go with what's in the scriptures and scriptures alone. And so there's a lot of conjecture there. And so again, that's why we say, no, what the the angel told Mary is that you, you are going to conceive of the Holy Spirit. And that's what makes it sinless. It doesn't inherit Adam's seed. Yeah, Dean. Wasn't this the whole thing and why the Nicene everything the apostles creed was the armenian uh, debate was and it wasn't that the root of it 
It wasn't necessarily the Armenian uh, Calvinist debate. It was more along the lines of uh, other, other heresies like docetism or uh, modalism, which, which, which would infer or suggest the idea that, that, well, he was more of a ghost. Jesus was more of a ghost than he was human, or uh, he would shift back and forth between, between uh, God nature and man nature and says, no, no, it, 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 that's, that's why a lot of these specific lines were included. Yeah, good question, though. Um, let's see, where was I? I left, I left my notes here. Uh, but again, fully God, fully man, word became flesh, dwelt among us. Okay, I used to be in publishing, and one of the authors that I work with described it like this in one of his books. This is, I just love this so much. The word became not a whirlwind or a devouring fire, but a single cell, a fertilized egg, and an embryo, a baby. A placenta nourished him. An amniotic sac surrounded him. He grew to the size of a fist. His tiny heart divided into chambers. God became flesh. He became flesh. The virgin birth is the means by which Jesus could be born of a real woman and really partake of, of, the, of, of flesh and blood for us and, and for our salvation. Uh, Hebrews 2, 14 to 18 uh, we've talked about this verse some. Since therefore the children, of, uh, children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through the death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those through the fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that helps that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham, of Adam. Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect. He had to be fully human so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Because he had to be a perfect sacrifice. He had to be a sinless sacrifice. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. He had to be like you. He had to be just like you. He had to be as human so that he could represent you, so that he could take away your sins. Made like us in every way, yet without sin. Okay, this is what the Apostles' Creed shouts. Conceived of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. That's the only way he could be made like us in every way, yet without sin. Okay? Because if he was made just like us, then what? Problem number one. We have a sacrifice that has a blemish. And if we have a sacrifice with a blemish, then we don't have a sacrifice at all. And so backing up to, to Romans, this completes Paul's thought that, that we began earlier. This is Romans 5.18. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. This is, again, why he had to be a human. Because if one man, if sin came into the world by one man, so one man would deliver the first Adam, and the second Adam would deliver you from your sins. Oh, that's what 19 says. For as by one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. This can only be done if it's someone just like us, yet without sin. It's the only way it works. All of this is possible because of the actual physical virgin birth of Jesus. Let me stop there and see what questions you have. That leaves us with about five minutes or so. Yeah. Mm -hmm. When I think of today and being a woman, so what if I didn't know Gabriel and he says on the internet or comes to me in person that I'm an angel and he wants me to have a baby? Then you're going to have this question of who do I believe and how do I know this is going to come true 
or was she already an obedient person, forthcoming? But you know, there was there probably is on the internet more about this, but you wonder how that so quickly happened and she believed the angel and sure I'll do this. Yeah. Good question. Okay, so it tells us something about Mary, first of all. Uh, number one, Mary must have had some idea about what the scripture said in, in passages like Isaiah that we saw earlier. Uh, number two, yeah, if, if the story ended there, if the story ended there with Mary, and Mary just said, yeah, I, you know, I was a virgin, and uh, I gave birth to a, a sinless sacrifice. Okay, now, now are we just taking her word, or is there other evidence that shows us, no, that what, what, what Mary said was true? You know how we know what Mary said was true? Again, this is, now we're starting to getting into, we just talked about Christmas, now we're going to get into to Easter. What happened at Easter was the fact that Jesus raised from the dead, okay? When Jesus was raised from the dead, do you know what that validated? It validated, remember, for the wages of sin is death, and if death couldn't hold Jesus down, that means he was without sin, Okay, so the resurrection itself validates everything that the gospel writers said. It validates everything that Mary said, because the, that Mary confessed. Because again, if Mary was not as the Bible tells us she was, then Jesus has sin. If Jesus has sin, Jesus cannot be raised from the dead. It all holds itself together by itself. And again, if you take any one of these pieces out, and I, 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 uh, I've just given you my um, uh, Easter sermon, uh, but, but again, it's along those lines. What, what does the resurrection validate? It not only validates the fact that Jesus didn't have sin, but then it validates everything else too. And again, so yeah, there's people that would walk away from understanding the, 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 uh, the, the passage or the, um, the narrative of the, of the virgin birth and still walk away with doubts, which that's why, again, the resurrection validates all of it. Because if Jesus doesn't rise from the dead, what good is any of it? That validates everything else that happened and everything else that was said, in addition to the Old Testament, which also validates the fact that God said it would happen. So it happened. Good question, though. Someone else? Did that answer your question? Does that help? Somewhat? Yes, Ma'am Jean. And this is, might just be just MG thinking way too much. What about all of the people of the Old Testament, though? They never saw... The resurrection. They never, never saw, you know, all the prophecies fulfilled. So, you know, sometimes I feel like, you know, that's what we are. We're waiting on Christ. We're waiting. You know, just expand upon that. You just answered your own question by saying we're waiting on Christ. Okay? We're waiting on Christ. And we, we, we've talked about this a little bit, but remember, remember the, the people in the Old Testament were saved in the same way as the people in the New Testament. Okay? So let's just say that this is the cross. This is the events of the cross. You, you and I, we, we, in our faith, we, we look back on what Jesus did on the cross. Okay, side note, we still await his return. We're waiting on him. But we look back on what he did at Calvary and point to that and say, he, by his sacrifice, made remission for my sins, gave me his righteousness. He provided. He was the sacrificial lamb that provided for us. Okay? What do people on this side of the cross do? What do people in the Old Testament do? They point forward and they say, one day, one day there will be a sacrifice. One day the Lord will provide a sacrifice. And this is what, this is what, uh, what we saw with Abraham and Isaac. The Lord himself would provide a sacrifice. Is it crystal clear? Do they understand all the detail? 
that goes along with, with what we see? No. But again, it's still the same engine, and that engine is faith, that one day the Lord would provide something. The Lord would provide a sacrifice. I don't have all the details, but I know he's going to provide something. And so what we like to say is uh, the, the New Testament reveals what, the Old Te- what was in the Old Testament as concealed, but it's still, it's still the same thing. It still points to the same thing, that the idea that God would provide the sacrifice. And it all, it all centers on the cross. And again, so there was a lot of I know the Lord's going to do something. I know he's going to provide a sacrifice somehow. Uh, and he did at Calvary. And they, they got to see the, the full detail of the gospel. That you and I, because remember, even the, even the disciples, even the disciples up until the point of the ascension were like, now, Lord, now are we going to have a, a revitalized kingdom? You know, I, th- I think it wasn't until, until Pentecost when, when the Holy Spirit came upon them where they started to see with their eyes open and ears open. Oh, my goodness. Now it makes sense. Now I get it. Now I get all the detail of the gospel. That big, again, it doesn't change the fact that, yeah, people of the Old Testament still look forward to the, the events of the cross, even though they don't have all the details. Does that make sense? Someone else? Yes. Carolyn, our friend, now I have to say it every time that Carolyn visits us. The reason this class exists is because of Carolyn and her husband, Josh, and she's here visiting from Maryland, yeah? Yeah. <laughs> She always has the hardest questions. <laughs> but I also have the answer this time. Okay, <laughs> so I just thought it was worth bringing up. I feel like in just casual conversation with people, a lot of times they'll, um, if, the, if this were to come up in a casual conversation, which I guess is unlikely, but I feel like it has, um, they'll say, well, the original word wasn't necessarily virgin. It was just a young woman or a young maiden or something. So too much has been built on this one interpretation of that word. Um, and there is plenty, like you can Google and find lots of information about why that is not the case. But I also think Matthew 1 is just so clear. And when the angel appears to Joseph and it says multiple times, like the angel is literally there to explain to him you don't have to divorce her because this was um, a child of the Holy Spirit. So she hasn't cheated on you. Like, it's just very explicit in making it clear that it's not just that she was a young woman. I love it when you ask questions and bring the answers, too. That's very good. It's very good. Yeah. It's true, though. But it's absolutely, it's absolutely true because, again, that, is, that's, that could be a point of contention is that you're right. When you look at the, the, if you go back to the passage in Isaiah and look at the word, that we translate as virgin. It is. It means young woman. And there's a lot of implications in that. And there, you can say that there was a lot built into that. Oh, they, they would understand what that means. Because again, you can make, it, make the argument that the expectation, the cultural expectation was that people weren't as promiscuous as they are now. And so any young woman, therefore, would also be a virgin. But again, strictly speaking, from a language standpoint, it means young woman. But Matthew 1 validates, again, the fact that what we're talking about here is not just a garden variety young woman, but there was something peculiar about her. And that, again, that Joseph had well intended to, to, uh, to divorce her quietly, but it was the angel himself that said, no, you don't have to do that because it was of the Holy Spirit. So yeah, thank you. Thank you. That's awesome. Anyone else? Yes, uh, Jody. We still got a little time. And then, and then Sandy. <clears throat> um, yeah, I was just going to kind of piggyback on Teresa's question. Um, Something in her question kind of sparked this in my mind that, you know, Mary, it wasn't that Mary was a super, like, awesome person, you know. She, yeah, and, you know, just like Abraham, you know, God chose him. And it's like Abraham was a, 
you know, an idol worshiper. He didn't, he didn't have stuff to bring to the table to say, hey, Moses, I mean, Abraham was a, was a cut a breed, a, a breed above, right? He was a cut above the rest of them. And so God said, hey, or Noah, you know, Noah was a righteous man. You know, it didn't mean, well, Noah had this merit in and of himself. And God said, you know what? You're a good dude. You're my guy. And same with Mary. She wasn't a person that had, she had it all together. God said, I'm going to choose you, Mary, because, you know, you're worthy. And so I, I saw in Teresa's question, this kind of the wrestle that we all have with, you know, did, well, did Mary bring something to the table that, you know, what made her all of a sudden believe, believe Gabriel? And it's like, well, I believe Gabriel uh, because, you know, I got it all together. It, you know, it's no, she she was given the grace of faith just like Abraham, and she was given eyes to see. And when you get down to it, when you get down to brass tacks, it's the same story for you and me, the fact that we have salvation at all. Again, why was the Lord's grace uh, poured upon someone like Mary or Abraham or Noah? Was it because they were spectacular people? Why were you saved, Jody? Was it because you were spectacular? You are a spectacular person, by the way. But... Were you saved because of the spectacular nature of who you are? No, you were saved because God saved you. And, and there's a mysterious element to it, yes, uh, but it's not because you were special. And I'll say the same thing about myself. It's not because I was special. It's because the Lord, Lord chose to give me favor, and that should put me on my face over the fact that there's not anything special about me that, that saved me. Uh, and I would say the same thing for Mary, same thing for Abraham. The, the story of the Bible, the stories in the Bible, uh, are not, again, accounts that, that give us heroes. There's one hero in the Bible, his name is Jesus. And the Bible tells us that God uses imperfect people, imperfect people to accomplish his purposes uh, through Jesus Christ. Uh, and again, that's the, the repeated narrative over and over and over and over again all throughout the scriptures. Uh, so yeah, it's fascinating that why Mary? I wish I could tell you why Mary specifically, but it wasn't because there was something in her that made her that much better than say anyone else. It was God's favor and God's favor alone and, and, in, and the power of the Holy Spirit making her into what she was. So yeah, so here, Billy. So sin comes into us through a seed, the seed because Mary was sinful, so it doesn't come from our DNA at all. No, it's a, it's a spiritual transaction, you know, because uh, you think of it this way. And again, same way, same way that you think about the cross, same way that you think about how, how faith is, is uh, uh, or salvation is imputed to you. It doesn't come through DNA. It's a spiritual transaction. Uh, because what, what salvation amounts to, again, we talked about this a few weeks back, is that it's a declaration, Something has been declared about you. You've been declared forgiven and righteous. Okay, that's not done through DNA. That is a spiritual transaction that the Lord has spoken. Okay, so the same, by the same rationale, sin is imputed to you, not through DNA, but through a spiritual transaction, through what we would call federal headship. It sounds like a government term, but again, federal headship is what, how Adam represented you. And by that same rationale... Jesus Christ represents you as well, too, through federal headship. And it's all a spiritual transaction, not DNA. Yeah. All right. That takes us one minute past. If you have children in the, uh, in the, in the kids' ministry or special needs, please run and go get them. <laughs>
Uh, and let me pray as we, as we uh, are dismissed. Dear Heavenly Father, again, we thank you for these essential truths. We thank you for the truths that are contained in, in your word uh, from beginning to end, and that we can't read one word in the pages of Holy Scripture uh, without being confronted by uh, who you are and, uh, and the truth behind it. So Father, help us take these things, help us to, to chew on them, help us to uh, understand them better so that we can communicate them to other people too. Uh, so that we can uh, glorify you in the process. Thank you for your son. Thank you that he gave us salvation. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.